What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Take It Easy Sports Show here on ArizonaVarsity.com. Eric, this is episode 26. We've officially passed 25 episodes of this. I still think Ralph is pretty crazy for letting us, you know, do it this much. But, um, hey, you know, whatever. If he wants to let us just talk and, you know, just be idiots that we are, uh, I guess we're going to, you know, continue on and be those idiots. Uh, how are you doing tonight? I am good. Um, I didn't know I was an idiot. Now I do. All right. Well, now you just made me feel really bad. Um, <laughs> just messing with you. <laughs> uh, we've got a good show ahead of you, uh, ahead of us today. Um, as usual, we're going to review the games that we were at. We're going to look ahead to the games that we're going to be covering this week. Uh, we're going to take a look at the open division rankings, and Eric and I are going to share who we think should be in the open division. Now, obviously, our you know our opinions are going to likely be very different from what actually transpires you know here in the next uh probably the next couple days actually because end of the regular season is on saturday so um gonna be very different obviously i'm assuming maybe some of them will be the same um but we're also going to look ahead to other games that we're kind of looking forward to seeing the outcome of and we're also going to be talking to seth polanski he is the sports information coordinator for the arizona interscholastic association we're going to kind of get to know him a little bit more, how he got into this position, um, you know, his take on everything that's transpired so far, you know, if it's a, a kind of a relief for him to see most of these fall sports now coming to a conclusion during a year that's been very difficult. And, you know, obviously one that no one really knows what's going to happen on a daily basis. Um, but in the meantime, Eric, let's get started by uh, reviewing the game that you were at this past Friday. I was at Sunny Slope versus Barry Goldwater in Phoenix at Goldwater's campus. I actually really like that field. I'd never been out there before. Um, but Sunny Slope came in undefeated 4-0 and beat Goldwater, who was 2-2, two two, now 2-3, two 24-12. It was an ugly game. Sam Jacobs, their new coach at Sunny Slope, said as much exactly. Um, but... It was a win for Sunny Slope, which remains undefeated. Xander Georgoulis, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's the junior running back out there. He's talented. Um, he had two touchdowns, a lot of awesome runs. But I really liked what I saw from Ernest Greenwood, who is the running back senior out of Barry Goldwater. And they don't have much of an offensive line out there. Sunny Slope's defense really kind of dominated. Um, the, the two scores kind of came at the end when everyone was tired and the game was already kind of out of hand, but Greenwood was great. He had almost 150 yards and he's five, six, and he's listed at 145 pounds. I think that's about right. He's a small guy, but he really is fast and he packs a punch. He's strong. And I was really impressed. I had never seen him play in person before. So I was impressed by that despite them losing and not really he didn't have any scores, but he was maybe the most impressive player for Goldwater. And I think he doesn't have any recruiting looks or offers yet, according to Gridiron Arizona's page. But I'd be surprised if something doesn't come up. Yeah, you know, I remember watching him against uh, Desert Mountain on the JV Sports Show's, um, you know, Thursday night stream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Desert Mountain's defense really, you know, sniffed out that triple option offense that Goldwater runs. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, when Greenwood gets loose, I mean, he is, he's impressive. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember, uh, what was it, the first or second week of the season, maybe both. I mean, he had like what, like over three or 400 yards of total offense or just on the ground or something like that. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that, right? Yeah. He's a great runner. He's really fast and he cuts really well and he's kind of small. So it's hard to see where he's going. That's the thing, though, is that offense is pretty limited overall. Um, They don't have much of a passing game. They had one reception in the whole first half against Sunny Slope, um, which their defense is good, but it's not world beating. So, um, they just uh, so it's pretty one dimensional so you can load the box pretty heavy on them but yet he still greenwood has a lot of production he had a few nice catches in the second half as well he just kind of used his speed to burn guys and i uh, yeah i i think he is someone that should be looked at uh i don't know much about recruiting but i've seen a lot of high school football recently and he he was impressive how about you yeah. where did you go so I was actually at uh, Highland and Chandler, the rematch of the 2018 semifinal game that I always talk about. Um, game wasn't quite as close this time around. It didn't go into overtime or anything like that. Chandler actually ended up winning 42 to 19, but it was a lot, actually a lot closer than that score kind of in- indicates, I guess you can say. Um, Highland played really well. I mean, through the first three quarters of the game, they were pretty much right there with Chandler. I think it was like a one, maybe a two score game at most throughout the first three quarters. Um, you know, Highland's defense actually did pretty well against a very high powered Chandler offense. Um, you know, Mikey Keene just doesn't know how to lose. Eli Sanders was was pretty good despite nursing his shoulder injury still. Um, you know, Jalen Richmond, Keon Gray's. Eli Swope, that that massive offensive line, like they they all did their thing. Nick Nicholas Nesbitt um, had a pretty good game as well. Um, and then Chandler's defense, though, I mean, you know, it, it you know Mikey Keene even told me after the game that there's days where the defense really has the offenses back if they're struggling. And I think he was kind of referring to maybe that Centennial game where they struggled a little bit in the first half, but you know, in this one, it was kind of the defense struggling a little bit to to stop Highland, which maybe was kind of a surprise to some, but I mean, Gage Daly was phenomenal. He threw for, I think over 225 yards or something like that. Max Davis was not, you know, shying away from any contact from Chandler's obviously very impressive and talented defenders. Um, Highland actually played that game really well. And, you know, despite what looked like a lopsided score, they were in it really the entire time. And, uh, you know, Rick Garrettson and Mikey Keene both said the same thing. They said that Highland absolutely deserves to be an open division team. Now, granted, and this is something you and I will get into in a little bit here, but there's a committee now picking the teams. But will they look at the record like has kind of been in the past with the computer rankings where essentially you lose two, even three games and you're out no matter what? Um, or are they going to look at the strength of schedule and kind of obviously identify that there was only eight games this season. Some teams played less than that and maybe give Highland a shot. I don't really know. Um, but overall, I mean, Highland played very well, you know, despite going against the number four ranked team or number five ranked team in the country. And, um, I think it was kind of what I, what I expected, honestly, from Highland. I didn't really think they were going to get blown out. And I, I still even, like I said, despite the score, I don't think it was necessarily a blowout. Like, I wouldn't call that a route on Chandler's behalf. Absolutely. If that makes sense. Especially with the way they've um, been beating up on some people in general. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is like Chandler never really had a chance to relax and send in the backups like they have in weeks past. That's right. Not at least until like maybe midway through the fourth quarter when they finally, you know, scored the last touchdown and kind of went up by what was it like a 23 point win that they had. But, um, you know, I mean, it, like I said, it, there were just simple mistakes on Highland's part too. Like uh, Jackson Ray had a field goal blocked. He also missed a uh, point after touchdown. He also, you know, shanked a punt, which isn't normal for him. So, you know, we could be talking about a much closer looking game than what we had should those mistakes not have happened. Um, but I mean, that's just part of the game, really. Yep. And I think it's going to take if anybody other than, you know, Chandler or Hamilton is going to lose, it's going to take, you know, some plays like that going wrong. And whoever's playing against them, if they are able to upset at any point, is going to have to play perfect in all those little things and not have any mistakes. And um, it's going to take a lot. But yeah, you can't have that type of thing and expect to win against those guys. And that's the thing. Like, how often does a team have a perfect game? I mean, is there really such thing? Is there such thing as a perfect game? No. Really? It doesn't really exist. But. See, what I mean that... is, uh, what about the um, like Highland a couple years ago? They played about as well as you can, um, and that's what it took to keep it close with Chandler, right? Yeah. Like you, I mean, they didn't make. It ended up Chandler had one better play at the end, but two years ago in 2018, Highland played almost a perfect game. Yeah, I think key word for that is almost because some would argue yeah. that that final play by Chandler, it was a, it was a mistake in coverage. So, which, which obviously yep. helped Chandler get the two point conversion and of get course. the win. Um, but I think, I think that's what, that's, what's crazy about this Chandler team is even when their defense may not be firing on all cylinders or their offense may not be playing as well as they should be. They're still such a hard team to beat because of how much talent, how much depth that, that they truly have. Um, and I think that's that's going to be one of the conversation, or I guess one of the talking points that you and I bring up later on with the open division rankings when we're talking about whether or not a 4A team should be in the open division this year. Because not many 4A teams, man, not even many 5A teams have that type of depth to no, they do not. go toe-to-toe with not even a team like Chandler, even a team like Highland. Not many teams could do that. So like I said, we'll get into that a little bit later, but overall... I was very impressed with Highland's offense still. I was very impressed with their defense and how they kind of handled the adversity with their backs against the wall, basically from the very start. Because um, Mikey Keene came out and threw 10 passes on their first 12 plays, and that was their entire drive, and literally led them right down the field and scored. Um, I mean, right there, that that could have been the breaking point for Highland, but they bent all night. They didn't really break. I, I would say they never really truly broke. Um they just happened to make a couple mistakes. Chandler's defense got some late stops, and that kind of allowed them to take the three-touchdown lead that they had. Yeah, I mean, they really can play, um, and it's not I, – I know that's not really saying much, but they are – there are guys that barely hit the field for them in years past that are playing on college football rosters. Um I remember looking through a couple weeks ago, maybe two or three, whatever it was, I went to an HJCAC game 
And there are guys in that league and other Juco leagues that were Chandler and Highland and Hamilton guys that like these really high level um, 6A teams that I'm looking at their stats in high school and they really even didn't even get on the field that much. Um, it just shows how much depth there is that you can have a guy who's not even a starter on the high school team that plays college football. It's it's incredible. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and it goes to show how much talent is on each team. Because even, I think even, I mean, high, I'm sorry, Chandler's linebacking core, I think most of them have offers and some of them are backups. So it's like, it's just crazy to me that you have a team like that. I mean, typically you'd see something like that with like an IMG or so, or yeah. like, or something else, other than like another program like that. Um, you know, Bishop Gorman was always like that too back in the day. So yeah, it says a lot about how talented Chandler truly is. Um, Eric, what do you say we jump into the games that you and I are going to be attending this week? Yep, I agree. All right, so where are you headed? I am planning on being at the the battle for Peoria. And, I mean, there are other good Peoria teams, but this is the 6A battle for Peoria between Liberty and Centennial. Both teams come in 5-2, and two, um, having both only lost to Chandler and Hamilton. And I think that this is a battle for um, who is probably in that top eight. And people, some people think that both teams deserve to be in. Um, we can argue about that or whatever. But I think that the winner of this absolutely is one of the best eight teams in the state. And both teams have had tough losses and they've had some awesome wins over really tough teams. So I'm really excited about that. And I know I know you've got a really special game as well. Yeah, so you're going to be at the Battle of Peoria. I'm going to be at the Battle of Ahwatukee. Now, granted, a little bit different circumstances. Your, you know, your game like you said is probably, you know, competing for a spot in the open division. My game is competing essentially for momentum heading into the offseason. Um, Desert Vista Mountain Point 2 you know, historically good programs just happen to be struggling this year. Desert Vista's 0-5. Uh, Sorry, I had, to, I had to remember how many games that they played. Yeah. Um, and then Mountain Point's 0-7. So, you know, it, it's a battle of, you know, bragging rights, uh, momentum, and obviously who's going to get that first win. And, you know, some people may think, oh, well, they're, you know, both winless. Why is this game even important? Well, it's still important for the community because – this is one that they all tune into. I mean, I'm talking, there's some people who in the, in the, in the outtook community that maybe not, you know, won't spend even a 10 seconds looking at high school football scores, but when the Tukey bull is on, they're paying attention. So um, it's definitely one of those interesting games that really does draw the community out. Now, normally the community members would obviously go to the game, Tempe Union still has those restrictions in place. So, you know, we're only going to see parents. The atmosphere is going to be much different as it has been really all season long at pretty much every football game. But nonetheless, the rivalry aspect is still there. The intensity might even be turned up a notch because both teams want to end the season with a win. Um, I think, I honestly, I think it's still going to be a really good game. Agreed. And, um, you know, it, you're you've you've seen this rivalry before, so you kind of know what to expect as well. Yeah, definitely. I've been there twice, and it's it was fun both times. And I'm actually sad I'm going to miss it. Um, if this Peoria two teams wasn't such an awesome game, I would make it out to that one as well. But duty calls, and I know you'll do a good job covering it. 
Oh, man, I appreciate that. Now I have to actually do a good job covering it. You, I mean, <laughs> no one else is going to, so you can, uh, you'll be better than the others. I mean, that's not true. There might be I some know. people there. I'm just it's still the Tukey Bowl, man. Know, it's still I'm one not, of the best rivalries in the state. I'm being fastidious. Oh, man. I'm going to, I'm going to hope all these players from Mountain Point doesn't just listen to what you just said. Yeah. Man, I hope so, too. That was kind of brutal. Um, but I'm also, you know, obviously close proximity when it comes to the East Valley team. So once the Tukey Bowl is done, I may do most of my writing, believe it or not, from the sideline of the Chandler Hamilton game. Um, that game starts at eight o'clock. Tukey Bowl, obviously, and every other game starts at seven. So I'm and because the Hamilton Chandler game is on ESPN, I anticipate it's probably going to go on for a while. So it certainly I may will. be. Yeah, so I may be able to, you know, get my interviews and sneak on over to Chandler, do a little writing, watch a little uh, Battle of Arizona Avenue on national television, and um, let's just hope if I do sit down somewhere that I don't get run over and, you know, and made a laughing stock of myself on TV. So there are worse things. I think now is as good as ever to. uh, I mean, we were talking about these high level teams. Do you want to talk about the open a little bit? I know I've been hesitant to do rankings and stuff like that. And I actually only want to do this because I have some differing opinions from a lot of the other colleagues we have. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and I'll let you start it off then. Who do you believe Eric Newman will be in the open division or should be in the open division? So it's going to change next week because we've still got another game to play. But I think the distinction we have to make is who are who's had the best seasons and who is the most talented teams and uh, before i do who what do you think is uh, the open eight is what who's had the best season or who's the most talented team which do you think is more like is the idea to have the best ones or the ones who've had most success um i mean i would argue it's a little bit of both yeah Agree, because like I mean, I mean, look. So here's here's my example, really quick on that. You look at a team like Mountain Point. Yeah, they're zero and seven. But if you look at the roster, they're extremely athletic and extremely talented across the board. They just haven't figured out how to put it all together. So I mean, you know, by by the logic of saying that we're just picking one of the most talented teams, and you could argue that Mountain Point, based off their athletes, should be in there. Yep, Mountain Point should be in the open. But obviously, that's not how it works. So I think it it also depends on how you take that athleticism and that talent and trans you know transition it to your play on the field and obviously into wins. Because um, I almost guarantee, like if we're sitting here right now and Chandler has who they have on their roster, and for some reason they lost three games this season, they wouldn't be an open division team. I don't think. With that being said. I'm going to give you my eight, and I have them in a specific order. Do you want me to start? I'll start at the top because— No, no, no. Start at the bottom. I want to I want to go bottom because I think we know who's going to be at the top. Yeah, that's why I wanted to start there because then it, it gives drama for the last few spots. All right, go for it. Go from the so, top. So the easy first three, um, and I don't think you'll have any argument with these, are Chandler at one, Hamilton at two, and Desert Edge at three. Okay. Those are fair, I think, right? Yeah, I agree. You yeah. could you could put Desert Edge somewhere else, but I think they deserve to be in the open. Yep. I have Saguaro at four. They've only lost once. 
They've lost to Hamilton in a really close game. I think those are your easy top four teams in the state. Okay. Number five, Corona del Sol. 7-0, and a win over Mountain View. If they don't beat Mountain View, they shouldn't be in. Yeah. Um, but I think if you go 8-0, and and I've said this before, you go 8-0, and and right now they're 7-0, and in a 6A conference, they had to beat some good teams to get there. If they win and are 8-0, and they should be in there. Number okay. six, I have South Point Catholic, another undefeated team. Yep. And you'll see a trend with these. They've got Desert Mountain coming up. Uh, South Point's beaten a couple good teams. They beat Mountain Ridge, which I don't think is going to be in the playoffs, but that's a legitimate win um, over a, a legitimate 6A team. And they beat Campo Verde, which is another solid squad. And I think if they beat Desert Mountain, they deserve an open spot because they would be 5-0. and Got Sunny Slope number 7. And you can argue with me whether you think that they are the top 10 or top eight talented team. I don't think they are, mm-hmm. but they're undefeated. If they beat Boulder Creek this week, that's their last game of the season, who is a legitimate six, a team, maybe even an open contender. They're on the list right now. Um, I'll be at number 16 to beat them. They should be in the open. And this okay. is where I know you're not going to agree with me. I have Coconino at number eight. And I don't think that they're one of the top eight talented teams. But the open division is for the top performing teams in 4A through 6A. And Coconino 7-0. and Okay. So they're undefeated. I think that they actually have been hurt in the rankings by their schedule for this upcoming game. Estrella Foothills isn't a bad team for 4A, but they've got the play-in against them. But And Estrella is not the same ranking as some of the other squads that are playing a Week 8 game. So okay. I think that... Uh, do I think that they are a top 8 team? No. I don't even think they're a top 16 team in the state, Coconino. But based on the way that their season is gone, I think if you don't lose a game, you beat the teams that are in front of you, you should do it. And then I think they would lose by 50 to Chandler. <laughs> okay. Okay. Way to, okay. Very, I guess, way to, you know, put that in there like that. Um, okay. Are you ready for mine? Yeah. Now, I, I will put a little disclaimer on there. Um, with my final eight seed, I have a, I have an either or situation. That's and fair. I'll explain, I'll explain that when I get to it. Yep. Um, okay. Number one, Chandler. Um, I, you know, I, I truly believe that Chandler will actually uh, beat Hamilton to stay undefeated. Um, I don't think it's going to be by any means more than maybe a two to like five point game. Well, yeah. It's going to be close. Um, now, if Hamilton wins, great. I have them at number two. We can flip flop Chandler and Hamilton. They're the best two teams in the state, hands down. Do you think that? If Hamilton loses, they would be because I was doing this specifically just on what they're at now. Um, do you think if Hamilton loses, they get? I still think they're the second most talented team, but do they get knocked down a spot or two? No, because if you look at their schedule, there's no reason why they should. Right, they should get knocked down with a loss at Chandler. Yeah, agreed. At Chandler, at Chandler, yeah. at Austin Field. Agreed. There's no way. Um. So for right now, one Chandler, two Hamilton. 
Three, I have Desert Edge because they're going to be undefeated. I think Desert Edge gets that nod because they go undefeated, because they beat teams like Cactus. And, you know, I think honestly, even though they're not really supposed to look at it this way, I think the committee may have a hard time not looking at how they performed against Centennial in the scrimmage. I know it's a scrimmage, but it shows that Desert Edge can compete with teams like that. Number four, Sawaro. The fact that they're right now sitting at number, what is it? What are they sitting at? I'm they're at not right even now. in the open discussion right now. They're sitting at number 13. That's absolutely ridiculous. They're a top four team. In the yeah. State. They, arguably, they could be top. They could be top three. Yeah, I agree. They that so, I think we agree very well on that top four. Yeah. And their only loss right now is to Hamilton. Yeah. And, and they haven't had as many. Yeah. And they haven't had as many games because teams keep canceling on them for COVID reasons. So Sawaro, so I think, gets in at number four. If they're number three, I will not be surprised. Number five. I have South Point Catholic right now. You and I pretty much have very, we have very similar rankings as, as of right now. Um, South Point Catholic, it's really hard to argue putting them in, even though they haven't played as many games, but to your point, the, the, the games that they have played have been against pretty decent teams. Yeah. Um, number six, the battle of Peoria this week, I have Centennial winning that one and getting into the open. Um, Is after that, your that either or no, it's not. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. No. I, I, yeah. I can see the argument about Centennial if they win that game being in because yeah. the only two losses are Chandler and Hamilton. The That's, top two teams in the state. Yeah, absolutely. They are, um, regardless, both of them and Liberty, regardless, are two of the most eight most talented yep. teams. Yep, exactly. Uh, number, what is that, six, right? So, yeah. no, I no, that was, wait, let me see. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. That was yeah. number six, seven. Yeah. Okay. So, Number seven, I have Queen Creek. Even though they had those two slip-ups earlier on the season, they've really turned it back around. Everyone said before that they are talented enough to be an open division team. I think they do sneak in there at number seven. Now, number eight, and I'm going to tell you right now, the reason why I don't have Corona del Sol in there is because I think Mountain View comes back with a vengeance this week and maybe ends Corona's chances. Yeah, that's going to be a really good game. If I'm wrong, I am wrong. I will own it. But I know how good that Mountain Point, or I'm sorry, the Mountain View team is. Um, having seen them against Mountain Point, yeah, sure, they may have struggled in that game, but Mountain Point's also much better than an 0-7 team. So my number eight team is not Corona del Sol. Even though I've had them in my own rankings, I think, for quite a while now. Um, here's my either-or scenario. If we're talking about a three-loss team getting in, Highland gets in at number eight, and we get Highland Chandler rematch in, in the first week of the Open Division, which I think will be great. Now, here's where probably a lot of people won't agree with me. Eric, how many teams this season have started 0-2 and have since gone on to go undefeated to finish the season? I can't name them. Okay. I'll name one for you, and this is in, in, it's, it's the way that they're winning as well. I would not be surprised to see a Chris McDonald led Basha team sneak into the mm. open division at six and two. I dig it. Now, granted, their schedule is not very good. And I think a lot of things have to happen for them to even get in. First of all, I think high arm, um, I'm sorry, I think um I think Boulder Creek has to lose. I think Corona del Sol has to lose. 
And like I said, I think it, I think the committee of you know voters or whatever we want to call them, I think they have to look at Highland's schedule and say, mm, three losses, I don't think so. However, well, I mean, we also have to, Highland also has to beat Higley, who's obviously not a slouch either. So if High, if Highland loses to Higley on Friday, they're done. They're out of it. Um, I but, think if Highland loses to Higley, they might be out of playoffs in general. If the playoffs are going off computer rankings, you're probably right, which would be crazy to think. But, um, you know, and this is why I, I said I put the either or for Highland, because if if my rankings turn out to be, you know, how they may fall in line or whatever, Highland's three losses are literally the number one, two and seven team in the open division. Yeah. And to me, that that's pretty good. Especially if you look at the way that they actually competed in all three of those games. So, yeah. so I mean, the question I have for you is if you have Basha in, they lost to Corona. So, does that, uh, do you think about that at all? And they lost to, I mean, at Shadow Ridge at the beginning of the year, it's not a great loss, but Shadow Ridge has been decent. Like they've, yeah. they've had a good season, but it, do you think that, uh, the fact that they lost to Corona Basha is going to hurt them in this scenario you have? No, because in my scenario, Corona loses to Mountain View, who Basha just beat last week and ended their undefeated undefeated reign or yeah. streak, I guess you can say. So like I said, there's a lot of things that have to fall into place for Basha, but if they do, I think Basha deserves, by the way that they've been playing, by how much better they've gotten since those first two weeks of the season... And man, even even how much better they've gotten since I saw them play against Desert Vista. This is a legitimate team. And if Basha yeah. doesn't get into the open division, look out for them next year because they're going to be scary good. So what this is making me think of is the fact that I think the uh, 5A's got good teams, but I think the 6A through 4 and 4A conference playoffs with whoever makes it into the open and whoever doesn't, um, are going to be crazy because I think that it's going to end up that the one through eight seed in both in probably six a especially but also four a is going to have teams who can all beat each other. Like it could end up being a Boulder Creek or a Corona or Liberty is the top seed in six a conference playoffs and go against a team like Shadow Ridge or Sandra Day or whoever, or Castile. Williamsfield's number 14 at the moment. That's as, that's a team that on their best day can beat any of those teams. Yeah. Um, I think that it's going to be a crazy, um, and I think that's uh, the fact that we have the open to kind of clear out this thing is doing its job. Um, so I think a team could be right on the cusp of making the open and then losing the first round of the conference playoffs. It's going to be really crazy. Well, I mean, we saw it last year. I mean, that happened pretty much all across the board. I mean, what was Mesquite's ranking last year in the 4A playoffs? Weren't they like a like a five seed or they six were, seed or yeah, something like that? They were, they were, I think, the lowest seed out of the final four. Okay, so so they won the championship. Yep. Liberty was a six seed, right? And they won the championship. Um, they were six A. Oh, they were seven seed. They won. Yeah. Regardless, they won. They won the championship. Yep. I think five A last year was really the only conference that had the number one team win the win the actual championship. Maybe instead of like three A. I know three A ALA Queen Creek. I think was number one. So you know, but I'm I'm talking more like the teams that are eligible for the open. Yeah. Um, 
I think yeah, 5A, I mean, 5A is going to have the, there's kind of a, a drop off after the best few teams. So I think that the first round or two of 5A is going to be pretty, um, pretty easy to predict. But we'll yeah, see. I think so too. But I mean, yeah, like, I mean, the thing is too, and this is a conversation that you and I can have right now as well, but you know, does a 4A team deserve to be in? Cause it seems like, you know, based on your rankings and my rankings, I would say no this year. Oh, well, so, I guess you have Poconino. So I have Poconino yeah. in, but I don't feel strongly about it. Like, if I had to make my rankings, it's tough because I really don't think they could compete in the open. Like, if we're well, going well, off here's, of here's my question, I don't think so. But yeah, they they have won all their games, so they deserve. Maybe they should be asked if they want to play in it or not, or be a high seed in four A. I don't think that's how it works. Well, and, here's my question to you, though, because if we're talking about talented teams and who we think will just overall compete the best, I mean, do you think Coconino can beat Mesquite? Probably not. I think I think Mesquite would probably win that game. I think Coconino being at about a four in the 4A conference as they are now, I think, is actually like that's probably where they're the number three at the moment behind yeah. Mesquite and Casa Grande. Um, they're 12 in the open. If we're actually going off of who is the better team, I think they're probably fifth or sixth in the conference. But it's hard to it's hard to punish them for not winning for winning all their games. And they they could have had a harder schedule, I guess, but they won the games that were in front of them. So I think if they do make the open, which they won't. Um, the, the committee wouldn't do that, even if they win by a hundred points this week, actually, if they, I take that back, if they win somehow by a hundred points, I think the committee might put them in, but anything short of that, they're, they're not making it. Um, if, if they win by a hundred points this week, I think, and then they get into the open number eight, I think Chandler's <laughs> going to turn around and just be like, Oh, anything, anything you can do, I can do better yeah. and put like 120 up. Yeah. No offense, Coconino. No offense. No, I don't think they would even argue you're... about that. Yeah. I don't think the coaching staff there and anything. It's just they've got some good players, but it's the depth thing that we've been talking about. Yeah. So and, and obviously, you know, my my four A team. So at first I had Post and Butte in um, as far as just like the one representative from the four A conference. Then I was kind of back to Mesquite, just because obviously you have Ty Thompson, you have Andrew Morris, you have Eric Lear, who's been outstanding for them. Um, but, I mean, it's in a season like this, I don't know, man. Like, the let's be honest. The Open Division was created for Saguaro. Yep. When Saguaro was a 4A team, it was and created. And Centennial was a 5. Yeah, but even then, I mean, you could argue you could just make it a 5 and a 6A thing, and then Centennial yeah. obviously would have been in it anyway. So. Yeah. You know, this was created for Saguaro. Saguaro's now up in 5A. I mean... It really I, shouldn't be 4A teams in there. Especially not this year. Not with not with not without as much, you know, with, with as much off time as all these teams had in the summer. They didn't have as much preparation. They, they weren't able to play a full 10-game slate. I mean, 4A played seven games, and now they're into the play-in tournament. They didn't have a full schedule. Some of these teams also had to cancel a game. Mesquite didn't play against Ben Franklin. That's a game they lost. I mean, I just don't think this is the year to do it. Maybe maybe next year revisit it, see you know what 4A teams look like, and make that determination. But I think right now, 
in a shortened season with not as much preparation time in the summer, I just I just don't think a 4A team needs to be in there because it's just going to be like, I don't know, man. Like if you're if you're Mesquite, would you rather go try to you know defend your 4A title or go into the open division at number eight and then get waxed by Chandler? That's the thing is the top two seeds make it so scary because anybody's going to go like, unless you're absolutely one of the top four or five teams, you're probably going to get wrecked by them. Those two teams anyway. And even the other people that are in the open are probably going to get wrecked by them the way we've seen it. Um, So it's tough. I think that whoever, it's a it's a bittersweet thing to make one of those bottom two or three seeds in the open um, because it means you've had an awesome season. But depending on who it is, we'll see. Um, they could end yeah. up. It could be a running clock in the open, which would be crazy. Yeah, I mean, we saw that last year too. Which yeah. I, I think I think we don't want to see that again. But who knows? I mean, I don't know. But. You know what I want to do, Eric? I want to bring on Seth Polanski because I want to kind of get to know him a little bit more. But I also want to ask him a little bit about what this committee is going to do when they're going to make their decision, when they're going to, you know, unveil all the rankings, everything like that for us. So that way, you know, your yours and, and mine rankings like they're not speculation anymore. They're true right in front of us rankings that we're going to have for the start of the playoffs, you know, next week. Sound good? Yeah, I it just I know sooner this way that I'm going to be completely wrong. <laughs> well, let's do it. Let's let's go ahead and bring on Seth. Cool. We're now joined by Seth Polanski. He is the sports information coordinator for the Arizona Interscholastic Association. Seth, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. It's going great. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. I know obviously it's it hasn't been the, you know, the easiest year for you. Um, and I'm sure, you know, me probably bothering you every day or every two days doesn't really help that much. So I apologize for that. Um, but, oh, no, you're you know, doing your job. I'm happy to help. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, you know, just to kind of start, uh, part of this interview is kind of getting to know the person that we're that obviously we're speaking to. Um, not necessarily, you know, what you do for a job or all that stuff, more how you got to this position. So I want you to go all the way back for me. First of all, was this you know, jumping into basically a communications role on the sports side of things. Was this always your main goal when you were growing up? Um, I kind of yes and no as the years have gone on. Um, I mean, if you want me to go all the way back, the first thing I ever did kind of in this field was I was the sports editor for my high school yearbook for two years. And I kind of always had a knack for writing. And I always loved sports. So I don't know if it was something that... Uh, you know, they just kind of got married together and it was something I wanted to do going forward. But I, you know, I've had jobs in the writing realm. I've had the jobs in administrative roles. But from both standpoints and both sides of things, I've had at least one or the other kind of going all the way through. And, and a job like this, obviously, you put both together and voila, here I am, sports information coordinator. Did you, um, did you think it would be... Because you, I know it's not technically administration, but you kind of, you're, you're one of the voices and you're one of the people that, um, you know, kind of keeps things together where I think we met the first time and probably the same thing with a lot of the reporters is you're always roaming the sidelines at playoffs and games on Friday nights and everything. Um, did that kind of come naturally or was it a difficult process to getting into that? 
You know, I think, I think that part of the job was pretty natural. I spent about seven and a half years as a, a sports information person at five universities. That was pretty much my first profession. So I was very used to working with the media, roaming the sidelines, um, being on, the, on the, uh, the table at basketball games, doing stats, doing the recaps. Um, and then also, I had previously worked in the Florida High School Athletic Association. And one of my, and I was there for almost eight years. Uh, one of my main goals, even though I wasn't the media relations person the entire time I was there, that was my job for somewhere between 18 and 24 months. Um, I, 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 they still had me run a lot of the championships from that aspect because of my sports information background. So it's, it's one of those things, and, and, I, and I really do credit the, the SID end of things. And I have a lot of respect for those people who do that in colleges these days because you really do a lot and you learn a lot on those jobs because you learn the administration, you learn facilities, you learn, I mean, you should already learn know how to write, so, so you're writing. Um, you learn the stat programs uh, and then you also interact with all the different people in all these different departments that make college athletics run. So for me to take that from a college level and, and kind of apply it to the high school, um, it, it was an easy transition. It came natural. Um, it's just something that, that's, that's part of this job. You know, you, you know if, you're, if you're the media relations person, you got to know the media. So um, th that's, that's been a goal of mine to make sure that I get to know, you know you guys and what you do and what you need out there so I can better service you. Seth, what brought you to Arizona then? You mentioned all these colleges and Florida high schools and everything. What brought you here? It was really just a family move. I actually didn't have a job lined up when I moved out here. Um, to, to throw another job in, and if you want, I can kind of put a timeline together later, but I was the website manager for the Arizona Cardinals for all of three months back in huh. uh, 2007 because I, I was at NFL.com before that. And NFL.com was moving. Our, our department was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That's where I'm from. And uh, they were they, the, the contract of that was in the CBS Sportsline building. And it was moving from Fort Lauderdale to L.A. And I didn't want to go to L.A. So I used my contacts to see if I could find an NFL job. And sure enough, I landed with the Cardinals. Uh, so actually, Super Bowl 41 was my last day at NFL.com. Uh, three, three days later, I was I had moved to Arizona. And... Um, so I was out here that time. It, the job didn't last that long, but I but I met my future wife while I was um, while I was here that time, and, and uh, I was what my wife calls underemployed, uh, just doing things I could do to, to make ends Underemployed. You know, uh, working in the mall, working uh, at, at a friend's uh, property management office. I worked at another friend's uh, heavy machinery uh, sales office. So, but um, but the job at the Florida High School Athletic Association opened up. Because uh, I had a, a, a friend that, that worked there and he was leaving, so he opened up the job to me. So I moved back to Florida, got that high school job. So I brought my then girlfriend, now wife, with me. And then after eight years, I'm like, you know, there's not really much more I could do here. Um, you know, we're kind of going in a different direction. My position was a, a kind of an outlier as far as educational athletics goes uh, in, in, in the Florida office. So, you know, my, my wife and Mr. Family out here. Uh, in Arizona. I liked Arizona the first time I was here, so we just, just packed up with our two kids and we moved out here with no job. Um, we, but we have family in town to help us out, and, and, and my wife found a job pretty quickly 
Uh, and then again, I was underemployed for a little bit. Uh, did a did a part time thing with Valley Metro in the PR office, but then um, just kind of landed on my feet with the AIA because I knew some of those folks uh, from the national meetings that we did every summer. Uh, wherever we were in the country. So I had met Brian Belitho, who's, who's my department head. I had met Harold Slemmer, the, the previous executive director. I had met uh, Dean Visser and, and uh, Ron Hallback, who are sport administrators. So just, just by my association with them, um, I when I moved back to Arizona, I said, look, I'm here. Um, um, anything you need, just let me know. And sure enough, a year and change after I got back, Brian called me up and said, um, hey, we got, we're adding a position. Um, Want to know if, you, if you're interested in it? And it was the media relations position and, and kind of looking into it, what I couldn't believe was Arizona really leads the country in a lot of things from a high school standpoint, like our sports medicine advisory committee is literally one of the best in the country. That, that rule where if your helmet pops off during a, a football game, you have to sit out a play. Well, that was, that came from Arizona and that came from our SMAC committee and it went to national and then it went to the college and it went to the NFL. Um, so, uh, so what, what shocked me was we have all these great things in Arizona. We're such a leader in a lot of things. We didn't have a media relations person before. So I'm like, sure thing. I'll be happy to step in. And here I am. That's awesome. I didn't realize that the, the helmet rule came from Arizona. That's actually really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, so you mentioned you're from Fort Lauderdale. My grandma actually lives in Fort Lauderdale. She lives a few blocks, I believe, actually away from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, who obviously is a very is a is a Florida powerhouse. Um, but I have to ask you this: so, you know, being in Arizona now for a few years, doing this position, and then obviously having done the same position essentially in Florida, how much different are the two states, and how much different is your job compared to when you were in Florida? Because Florida, I'm sure you're traveling all over the place for championship games, right? Because it's so big. Well, um, I'll, I'll start by answering the first part of your question. The two states are complete polar opposites. I don't, I don't know if there's a single thing that that I can really say is so similar between Florida and Arizona, the way things are run and and, and whatnot. The thing about Florida championships is they try to get. Um, their championships in a centralized location. So Orlando, Tampa, Melbourne, which were uh, all along I-4 across the middle of the state, were all destination cities for championships. So it would, so if you were coming from Miami or if you were coming from Pensacola, that would be the furthest out you would go. It would just take you the one day to get there. Because to drive from Pensacola to Key West would actually take you two days. It's the, it's the equivalent of driving uh, I-10 across Texas. Um, ma- mainly because it takes three hours just to get from Miami to Key West even though it's only like 100 miles. Uh, so now I did travel a lot, but my, my position at, at the FHSAA was I was the membership uh, coordinator. So I, I, I did the media relations as, as part of my main function for only a year and a half to two years. But my, my function for the entire eight years I was there was, was membership and website. So I was traveling all around the state, but that was to chat with our member schools and to mentor uh, the new ADs and to host our uh, compliance seminars, stuff like that. So uh, th- that, that kind of got me around. Uh, as far as things being different, oh, and I, w- I do want to point out to you, uh, Zach, you mentioned your grandma lives right by St. Thomas Aquinas. My alma mater was in the same region as St. Thomas Aquinas. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so we finished second to them in everything. <laughs> um, our baseball team was probably the third or fourth baseball team, third or fourth best baseball team in the state but only second in the region. 
<laughs> so wow. was, yeah, so so we, we we could beat almost anybody in the state, but would lose in the state quarterfinals every year because we couldn't get that. St. Thomas. Um, so yeah, uh, some of the things that are different uh, here in Arizona, our conferences really have a lot of control as far as uh, number of games per season, postseason qualifications, postseason bracketing and seeding, stuff like that. Uh, in Florida, it's it's top down. Every conference has the same rules. They have the same number of, well, they, they did. They had the same number of qualifying teams. They had the same number of rounds, except um, in the upper uh, uh, classes, the upper four classes, the lower four classes had one less round because they had less schools. Um, it, it, was, it was really, a, I think, a little more consistent in Florida, the way things were handled as far as administration goes, because it all came from the FHSA office here in Arizona at the conferences kind of, um, do what's best for their schools you know kind of thing uh when it comes to media what i like here in arizona is that a lot of folks especially like you guys and and, and some of the other younger professionals in the biz you know the guys and the gals who've been a, around uh, a number of years covering the sports here and and it's one big fraternity be, be, between everyone here and, and i see on twitter all the time you guys are sharing funny stories and, and you're ragging on each other and you know, you're helping try to get games all, you know, areas across the state, you know, with this COVID and canceling things. In Florida, I saw a lot of, it was, it was very compartmentalized. All the major uh, metro areas were kind of like responsible for their own thing. So like I knew like the, 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 the Florida Times Union person from Melbourne. I knew the Tallahassee Democrat person. I knew the Miami Herald person. Uh, and they were all kind of individual and they kind of all did their thing. So I, I think those are kind of some of the biggest differences. Um, I mean, if there's anything specific that, that you guys are kind of wondering about, I'll, I'll be happy to fill in the blanks. What about, uh, when did you say you, you started officially at the AIA? Uh, well, officially it was uh, July 10th, 2017, I believe. Have you seen it grow? And I mean, coming here to Arizona the years before, um, I don't know if you were, when you were writing for the Cardinals, um, whether you were paying attention to area sports or not, but have you seen it grow, um, our athletic community over those years you've been here? Uh, abs absolutely. Um, it, and, and it's really magnified by a lot of the stories that I read, um, on Twitter, on the web, on anything, you know, the, the, the features and the stories that you guys are covering. And, and, I, and, I, and I see, like, you, your guys' tweets all the time say, I can't believe how many D1 quarterbacks or Power 5 quarterbacks we have now. I can't believe how many scholarship offers uh, our kids have gotten from the Pac-12. Uh, I think the big thing was, and I didn't see too much of it when I was with the Cardinals because I was only with them for three months. It was during the offseason. I was – the only times I was really with them, it was, it was around the, the, the combine and uh, the draft. So I was kind of dealing with the college athletic side of things. But from what I learned – was that back in the day, and this could be up to about 10 years ago, maybe a, maybe a little sooner than that, was that if you're, if you're gonna get a scholarship, if you're, if you're going to leave Arizona and go, to, go Pac-12, you're gonna go to USC if you're good. Now, I, I see it because you see it, how many scholarships Oregon is giving our Arizona kids, how many scholarships Utah is giving our, our kids, you know, and all these other power fives that are not USC, they're UCLA, they're Cal. Um, we're actually losing kids to in-state universities because they're so good that they can 
you know, make a difference at a school that can possibly be in the BCS national championship hunt. And, 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 and I'm seeing that, you know, coming from Florida, I, I saw that, that top end talent right away. And I think St. Thomas Aquinas leads all high schools with most number of NFL players out there right now. So right. I, I saw it firsthand, um, the, the top talent. And I, and I, and I think we, we were mostly concerned there with, Oh, who's going to Florida? Who's going to Florida state? Who's going to Miami? You know, I think UCF was kind of on the rise at the time and we would lose a kid here or there, uh, out of state, even, um, actually at one point, I, I believe, uh, Florida high school kids made up 32% of all student athletes in the SEC. Uh, this was about 10 years ago. So, um, so it wasn't just football, it was volleyball. We sent a lot of volleyball kids to the, uh, through the SEC and whatnot. But, um, but coming out here and hearing kind of like what it was, if you're good in Arizona, you're going to go to USC. Otherwise, you're going to stay in state. But now I'm seeing it. I mean, our kids are going all over, the, mainly the western U.S., but it's, it's amazing. You know, to see the opportunities now that not so much presenting themselves because they've always been there, but the opportunities that our kids are now taking advantage of. That's that's the difference that I've seen. You know, obviously, I'm in no way a recruiting expert. Eric isn't, and I'm sure you're not either, Seth. But is it kind of weird to you that Arizona State isn't making as big of a push for some of the top players in our state? I mean, what for the last few years i mean or even going back further than that you know you guys play your state championship game where there's a ton of talent on the field right there at asu stadium so and, and you know i think it was last year that we even saw the coaching staff come out and watch the players that were on the field there so is it kind of weird that you're not seeing them push more for all the talent that we have in the state yeah i definitely do and and, and i think that should be true for really any head coach around the country at, at the college level, you should be going to your high school games. Um, you know, obviously it's going to depend on the head coach's philosophy. And I don't know Herm Edwards all that well. Actually, I knew him more so when he was coach of the Jets, you know, and, and, and his stuff in the NFL. So, I, you know, I can't begin to, you know, kind of say anything about that based on, on, on what he looks at. You know, as far as uh, talent and where he goes recruiting and where his inroads are, but but I have always believed that you you know all the best should stay close to home. If there's if there's the you know the scholarships available and if you can help the team, um, you know like like I said just a few minutes ago, the the high school games that I saw in Florida, who's going to Florida, who's going to Florida State, who's going to Miami, you know that was like the big thing. We were so happy when we got to see these players over and over, you know through through the years like. Uh, like Duke Johnson, uh, went to you know went to Miami Central High School, went to University of Miami, and then spent a few years with Cleveland um, in the NFL. So, you know, guys like that, um, it, it, it's fun to see. You know, it's nice to see. You know that, but I also, you know, but I've also been a firm believer that you know the kids are going to want to do what's best for them, and you know, and, and if you're getting recruited between Oregon and Arizona State. Um, and, and, and Oregon, you know, has a, has a better path to the BCS championship and um, they're putting more, more players in the NFL, then, you know, the kid's going to make that decision to go do that. You know, they're going to they're gonna jump to Oregon. They're, they're going to put themselves in the best position. Um, so that kind of comes back on the coach. What, what's the best position you're trying to put your kids in? I can't speak for Herm Edwards. Um, I can't speak for, um, is it someone down at, down at Arizona? Um, am, I, am I right with that? 
I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head too. Um, is, that, is that Kevin Sumlin? Was it Kevin Sumlin? Kevin Sumlin. Yeah. Kevin Sumlin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> good. Um, sorry, guys. I'm an SEC guy, not a Pac-12 guy. Oh, good for that. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what his philosophy is down there now. Now, obviously, Kevin did spend some time at Texas A&M, which is now an SEC school, so he may have a different mindset down there. But um, just saying again, yeah, I, I would, I would, I like it when, when. They stay local, but I also know that the kids are going to put themselves in the best position. So, um, you know, Arizona State will be, you know, is going to be an adopted university for me because I live here now. So I'll, I'll root for them um, and, and I'll root for all, all, any and all of the top talent that we have to go there. Um, just get just, you know, it's just coming down to what, you know, the philosophies and recruiting efforts are of the coaches. Do you have a favorite sport and is it football because you've written for the NFL and so many things like that? Or do you have another one that you follow most? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I really do like so many sports. Uh, I'm, uh, I won't play it too safe here. I will pick some stuff. Um, yes, I, I, football probably is one of my favorite sports to watch and to cover. Um, volleyball is another. Um, I really do enjoy the, the sport of volleyball. Um, I played baseball as a kid, so I, I'm not that great of a baseball player, but I can, I can play softball really well, so I love playing softball and then soccer I played for nine years as a kid so from a playing standpoint soccer and, and softball from a watching standpoint uh, volleyball and, and football um, but you know just just seeing everything I, I I get a kick out of any any of the events I get to go to um, I when I went after I went to my first wrestling championship in Florida I was hooked that was great it was it was such a neat event mats um, everywhere just competitions going on all over the place so, you know, I've, I've just become a bigger fan of, of some other sports. What has been one of your favorite memories uh, here in Arizona, whether it be a championship game or just, uh, you know, a regular season game that you've gone to, playoffs, whatever it may be? Uh, what's been one of your favorite and most memorable most memorable moment? Something that, that always gets me, and even though I've, I've done this at an even bigger level, like at our championship games, like in football that we have, we've had them at ASU, we've had them down at U of A, I'll go down to the uh, setting up, you know, before everyone gets there, I got to go down to the field. I got to set some things up. So the stadium is empty and, and I really enjoy just going down to an empty field, like before the first game of a championship and just kind of looking around it, it. It's such an awe-inspiring feeling just, just to kind of be there. Um, I think the first time I ever felt that was, um, my uh, after I graduated college, I did a graduate year at Baylor uh, in Waco, Texas. And um, uh, it, back when we played at the, the old stadium that was downtown and not the new one that Robert Griffin III played in, the, the nice one they built on the river by campus, it was an old rundown stadium. And it was the first game of the year, and we were hosting TCU. And I had to go down on the field after the game to kind of wrangle some people for interviews and whatnot. And that was the first time I'd been down on a football field. And it was awesome <laughs> it, just, just to get down there and look around. It looks, it looks so small when you're up in like the press box or the stands. Like, oh, yeah, I could throw a ball 75 yards. But if you get down on the field and you look around, you're like, how am I even going to throw a ball 10 yards down here? It's, it's so, it, to me, it's, it's still awe-inspiring as I get ready for any championship to, to be down on the field and just look at an empty stadium from, from the middle of it. I think it's really cool. How about this season? I mean, you've been in athletics for so many years now. Is this the weirdest time 
specifically, I mean, we're covering football now. Um, volleyball is at its uh, championship games this Saturday. Has it? Has this just been the most stressful and weird time for you? Stressful from a standpoint of that we have to make a lot of adjustments in our office, yes. Um, I don't think it's really too much different than, than normal because we're still overseeing these sports. We, and we've had championships for all of, our, all of our fall sports already, except for volleyball and football. Um, so we, we've really prepared for these championships the same way we always do. Where the stress does come in is that we have to make adjustments for crowd size uh, when it comes to when we have to sell tickets for events. Uh, we have to uh, get with the host schools to see if there's any other things that, that they uh, can or can't do with us there, with, with fans there. It's, I, th- I think just the stressful part comes from the uh, just from, from, from things that we just have to change for this year. And, and a good example is last night uh, after our a 4A through 6A volleyball quarterfinals wrapped up. What I, one of my responsibilities is to export a spreadsheet and send it to GoFan, which is our online dig, uh, digital tic, ticketing partner. I export a spreadsheet that has the next round's matchups. Everything that we need is built into the spreadsheet. Uh, it even has capacity venues, or venue capacities, I'm sorry. But because every school is different, I had to go to each school's line on the sheet and change the capacity to what they can allow into their gym. Plus, both of the 4A semifinals, they have a limit of two tickets per transaction. So I have to make another column and put in those numbers. So the, you know, the, the to me, the championships are the same. It's the handling of everything else that goes into it is, has been weird and different. And, um, you know, you want to say challenge? You know, us, we, us optimists, we say opportunities. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and with football coming up, I know we've got the the bracket release show this Saturday. Um, do you are you able to tell me who is on the? Because for the first time, we have an open committee um, that's going to pick the top eight teams. Are you able to tell me who that's made up of, or is that classified information? That is classified top secret. Um, it is one hundred percent anonymous, and that is because. Our executive director, David Hines, says if, if word gets out who's on this committee, um, then everyone on that committee is going to get 10,000 angry phone calls and emails. So he, so, so Mr. Yep. Hines would just rather just take it on the shoulders himself and just have everyone yell at him. Um, <laughs> he can take it. He can take it. And, and so we want to protect the integrity of the, of the committee. Um, what I can say is the entire, I don't, I, to be 100% honest, I do not know who's on this committee either. This is, this is, this is top level clearance stuff, but I do know that whoever's on the committee is going to be an expert in this field. You know, I kind of feel bad for David because, you know, unless you really talk to him, you, you know, you, a lot of people just kind of assume that he doesn't care. He wants, you know, to just, you know, cancel this winter sports season, you know, he was 100% behind the spring sports season being canceled last year. None of that is true. He wants these kids to play. He just has, unfortunately, you know, health experts that are telling him otherwise in some instances. Um, so I don't know. I just and like, you know, you were talking about like the, the Facebook comments, all that stuff. 
you know, just to kind of clear some of that up, are you able to just provide a little update on winter sports and basically say that it's not canceled? It's just postponed right now until it's safe? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to go on the record right now and say winter sports is not canceled. David Hines has said this from day one when spring sports were canceled back last spring. We tried, if you go back through all of our releases and our, and our board meetings and all that, we did everything we could to keep spring alive at that time. Um, we were finally shut down by the state. Governor Ducey said all schools are closed. At that point, we had to cease operations. That is, that is the fact. Um, and then so since that day, David has championed the cause to make sure everybody has a season, their season in the correct season. Um, that's why we have a great sports medicine advisory committee. They're not just going to say, oh, there's a pandemic out. Let's just shut everything down until everyone gets better. Um, David has been saying how it's not going away. How do we mitigate it and how do we go forward in the safest way possible? Uh, that's 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 been his 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 goal since day one. Um, this, you know, the winter sports here, uh, you know, I can't believe and, and we talked about this before we got on, but where how all these comments on social media have gone to from, well, we just want to delay it, you know, between five and seven weeks so we can, you know, get a handle on it. And then people took that as you're canceling winter sports, you should be shut down. Okay, I don't know where you got that from. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the statement was pretty concise. You know, it's just two paragraphs. Um, so I, we we're not understanding where where these folks are coming from. Um, it's it's not being shut down. What we're doing is we're meeting with people who are in the know who can help us get us through this winter season, so we have one. Um, now, also, we're one of only a handful of states west of Texas that played football this fall, but people were angry about that don't understand it so you know we're, we're we're just trying to do everything we can to provide an avenue for educational athletics that is our goal that is our mission that is what we're going to keep doing um until we are shut down by an external uh force whether it be the governor whether it be the superintendent whether it be the state health department but we're going to keep going until we get shut down absolutely and Seth, one more question. I do want to go back to football for a second here. So obviously, playoffs are starting up next week. Um, now winter sports are delayed. So I have to ask, let's say a team were to obviously be quarantined and they're in the playoffs or in the semifinals of the championship. What would happen at that point if that's something that you even know? If you don't know, obviously, then that's totally fine. It's probably, you know, top level stuff that would have to answer that question. No, no, no. I could actually answer that one. Um, it, it's kind of what we've seen already in, in, in the unfortunate case of, of Glendale High School. Um, if there's a quarantine, um, if a team has a quarantine during the playoffs, unfortunately, they would have to withdraw if they can't play the game. Uh, we saw five, we saw like, I think three or four volleyball play-in teams um, succumbed to that. And then one top eight seed before the tournament even started had to withdraw due, due to COVID concerns and quarantining. Um, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's the way um, we're set up to go. The conferences are in agreement with us that, that that's how it needs to be. We can't delay anything any, any further. Um, obviously, you know, we, we had the situation with, with Division I boys swimming. A couple weekends ago, where Brophy had to pull out due to due to COVID, um, we we couldn't delay this the whole swim meet for all of Division One because one team couldn't make it that weekend. 
And it's super unfortunate because they had won 32 straight state titles. Um, you know, the, and in the case with Glendale, they're coming out of quarantine. This is something like at 10 p.m. on Friday night. And they said, well, you know, we're, we're doing a disservice to the kids by not letting them play at, at kickoff at 10.01 p.m. Well, it, 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 it's, it's a huge safety issue. They haven't played football in two weeks. They haven't practiced. They haven't conditioned together. They might have been working out on their own. They may have been conditioning at home on their own, but not as a team. The best they could have done is like Zoom meetings. So, you know, you can't throw a team out there to play essentially what is a playoff game, a play-in game, with no practice for two weeks. Just throw them out there and, and have them not get injured. Because if, if there are any serious injuries that happen on, on that team, who are they going to blame? The AIA. <laughs> so, yeah. so safety is paramount when, when we go through this. So, it's not, so when we talk about like teams that may have to withdraw if there's a quarantine situation during the playoffs, it's, it's as much as a, of a safety issue um, as it is we, 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 we're on a timeline, if people want to say that. Um, you know, the, the conferences, they want to see this through to the end. We don't want anything to be delayed at this point because any delay at this point could impact anything going further. Yeah. So, um, so we, we have we have to stay the course, and and the conferences knew this and schools knew this going into the fall that once we start we can't stop and we have to do it in this time frame otherwise it's not going to get done. And that that the same thing goes for championship games I'm assuming right if we get to that so one or not if. Hopefully we do. Uh, but when we get to that point, let's say a team has to quarantine right before the championship. So that one would end up being a forfeit. Well, if, if we follow the current protocols, that would be a yes. Okay. I'm, but I'm not going to be privy to those conversations that yeah. a 6A conference is going to have to have, you know, if, if that happens at that point. So I, I'm not going to go on record and say definitely if a team has to quarantine for the championship, they're out, they're done, and the other team's the champion. Um, I'm just saying right now, as we're getting to the initial rounds of the playoffs, if, if you have to quarantine and pull out of the pull out of the playoffs, your your team will get a bye to the next round. Got it. Perfect. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. It was great speaking much to you. I'm, I, I'm sure I'll probably talk to you here in uh, the next couple hours or uh, tomorrow or something as well. But in the meantime, it was great to get to know you a little bit more. Um, thank you again. And uh, tell us where we can find, um, I guess, anything that you do. I mean, I mean, are you you're on Twitter, stuff like that? Just go ahead and give us a plug for yourself. Oh, actually, no. You know, you know, it's really funny. I am I am the social media director for the state of Arizona's high school athletics. I don't do private social, personal social media. Okay. Uh, I have a private Facebook account that I update probably once a quarter for my family. <laughs> Um, I don't have a Twitter account. I don't have an Instagram account. I don't TikTok. Um, as a previous uh, supervisor of mine said back in the Florida High School Association, if any of you guys, I don't know if you guys are young or old enough to remember uh, MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? Yes, I, I do. One. Oh, you had one. Okay. <laughs> I had a supervisor that says, hey, I don't my Twit face. So, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how I am. Um, but, you know, I, I, <laughs> social media for me, it's 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 for the high schools. It's it's to promote uh, the information that we have. It's to get the news out there. Um, I use it for good, not for evil. Just remember that. 
Got it. Very well said. <laughs> Twitch face. That's awesome. Or Twitch space, whatever it was. My Twitch face. That was it. My Twitch face. My Twitch face. Interesting. Okay. Perfect. Uh, Seth, thank you again for joining us. It was great talking to you. And uh, like I said, I'll probably talk to you pretty soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you again to Seth for joining us. Uh, always great to catch up with him. I'm sure he uh, is probably sick of talking to me. I've, I've had to call him plenty of times throughout the uh, this whole pandemic from the summer uh, to, to this point as well. So um, thank you again for letting me bother you, Seth. Um, Eric, let's go ahead and touch on a couple more games uh, this week that we're looking forward to the most. I'll let you go ahead and start. So there's one in 4A in the play-ins that I'm really excited for. And that's Peoria at Apache Junction. Peoria looked early this year like they were just a despondent team. They got beat at Desert Mountain, which ended up, Desert Mountain ended up being a good team. And they just got blown out by Cactus. Zero to 43. Um, It was, uh, Cactus just absolutely dominated them in a game that was close last year. But they ended up winning four of their last five, uh, and they got themselves a play-in game, which they deserve. And Apache Junction is another team that kind of has, they've been up and down. They beat Estrella, um, they beat Prescott, they lost, but actually played a semi-close game to Mesquite. Um, They ended up losing, the final score was 25, but they really, they played them all right. Um, And I think that's going to be a really close one. So we'll see who comes out of that and ends up getting one of those um, official 4A playoff spots. Yeah, absolutely. Another one that I'm looking forward to as well. It's one actually that we talked about, but Corona del Sol Mountain View. Mountain View had their undefeated bid snapped last week against Basha. Um, so now maybe the Toros want to you know repay the favor to Corona, who's currently 7-0. and uh, we'll have to see what happens with that one, but I think it's just going to be a, a battle of two very, very talented teams, two underrated teams for the most part. I mean, I know you know neither of them played a very strong schedule, which is why I think we're not really talking about them being a shoe win for the Open, regardless of if they lose or not. But, I mean, man, the, these two teams have bright futures ahead of them, and I know Corona's uh, you know, freshman program is very, very good, so... Look out for the Aztecs. Like I said with Basha, look out for the Aztecs and look out for the Toros as well because they're going to be two good teams coming up next year. Um, But in the meantime, I'm excited to see how this one plays out to end the regular season. I think both teams are obviously playoff teams no matter what. They might even be the number one, number two, you know, seeds in the 6-8 playoffs. Who knows? Um, But I think that will be a very good one to to look out for when it comes to the score. So um, any other games that you have kind of have your eye on? So I think that Desert Edge will end up winning this game, um, but they're playing Verado, and okay. Verado's no slouch. And Verado's Verado's number ten in the rankings right now, so they should be looking at this like they have to win it to get into the playoffs. Um, and Logan Ging is one of the best running backs in the state, regardless of class and whatever. He's a San Diego commit, uh, University of San Diego has just absolutely lit it up every single game. Even when they lose, he has a ton of yards um, and a ton of scores. So I think that one's going to be closer than a 110 matchup might suggest. I think Desert Edge will come away with a win, but it's going to be good practice for them um, to deal with someone of that caliber in terms of 
um, an offense that uh, an offensive player, a skill player that the defense has to take care of. Absolutely. And before we wrap things up, Eric, I just want to say uh, Glendale, what has happened to you guys really, really sucks, but hold your, hold your guys' heads up. You had a great season. You might still get a chance to, to get into the playoffs. Who knows what's going to happen, but um, yeah, it's just really tough to see. I mean, for those that don't know, Glendale's currently in quarantine. They don't come out of quarantine until just, you know, I guess a little that what would be too late to play the game on Friday. So they were essentially left out of the of the play in tournament for the 4A conference and left yeah. out of the playoffs for that matter. So, um, you know, their game was unable to be moved to Saturday, which they could have played in. So um, I don't know. I know I know Rocco Bruni was pretty disappointed on Twitter. So um, I know, you know, just random words from me is probably not going to ease the pain of that, but great so, season overall. And we'll see what happens. I what, guess. what it's a good thing you brought that up because I was actually at their last game. Um, they beat St. Mary's and I saw the jubilation on their faces when they won that game and claimed a region title. Um, and I think Glendale is one of the top eight teams in four a, and if there's some way to get them in the playoffs without screwing too many other people over, I think it would be worth it on the AIA's part. I don't, I don't know how that happens or whatever, but um, again, just from an outsider's perspective, I say that the guys, if they don't end up playing in the playoffs, should hold their heads high because I saw how happy it made them to win that division uh, or their region. Rather, I forget what terms are which in Arizona. Um, there's conference and region and whatever. Yeah, it'd be a region title. Um, yeah, so they won the region title. Um, so hold your heads high because I I saw how much they cared about winning that thing. Um, and with the way this season has gone, there's a lot of teams that have been disappointed that they've lost a last game. Um, and I think that we could see it. I mean, it's Monday now as we record this, but we could see it more. We could see other teams lose that chance. I hope it doesn't happen. Um, just know that just because it happened at this time doesn't make this success of the season any less. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very well said, Eric. And with that, uh, we thank you all for listening. Of course, as usual, we wouldn't be able to do it without you. Uh, give us all a follow on Twitter at Zach Elvira at Enuman rights at AZHSFB and at Arizona varsity. Thank you again to Seth Polanski for joining us and talking a little bit about you know, the AIA and himself and everything going on right now. Um, with that said, we've got obviously a very exciting week of football ahead of us, and we will be back next week to review it all and look ahead to the first round of the playoffs. Eric, any last words? Vikings are up one point at halftime as we record this. We'll see how they end up disappointing.